This episode of AVXL is recorded on April 17th, 2020. We're going to talk about 2020 TV shipping, Disney Plus out Lucasing Lucas on the silliness of changing movies, the latest on Google Stadia, Axpona's virtual audio show, some more thoughts on 4K60, and the pain of picking up a 77-inch OLED TV. That and so much more, and don't forget, ask an AVXL if you got a question for us. Testing, one, two, three. All right. I'm not blowing anything out. Ignorant weasels chewing on your soul. Ignorant weasels. Do you have speed? Yeah. Well, Navy Excel, your guide to the best in home video and audio gear, no matter what your budget is. I'm Patrick Norton. Hey, I am Robert Heron. And this is a special day because the 2020 TVs we saw at CES are finally arriving. Yay! Yay! It's a good time. Hey, <laughs> at least LG's new TVs are starting to show up in force. True. For this year, they have their 10 series, or you'll see it described as X. So CX, yeah. GX, WX will be the three series that will arrive first. I was laughing because, you know, the whole X series thing, I keep hearing that voice in my head going, oh, that's one louder, isn't it? <laughs> it could be. Um, the gallery series, the G series TVs start shipping this month, 55 to 77 inches. The cool thing about that particular panel design is that they have managed to make the whole OLED one flat slab, a couple centimeters thick overall. Nice. So with an appropriate bracket that it comes with, it will literally mount flush against the wall. If you're looking for that look, that is arguably one of the most beautiful designs I think they've come up with in a while. For more traditional designs and to save some money, the BX and the CX are going to be your value panels. The BX series, which will be the least expensive in 55 and 65 inch OLEDs from LG, that arrives later in May is what they're saying right now. The CX has already launched in some sizes. I'm seeing the 55 and the 65 inch now available with the larger 77 inch CX coming May again. So there we go. So I have a question. Oh, and they're also saying that 48 inch that everyone's kind of waiting on uh -huh. June, 2020. Somehow that seems to make total sense for me, but I can't articulate why all these have the a nine, you know, gen three AI processor, 4k, they all do Dolby vision, HDR 10, HLG. They do G sync. Free sync will be supported probably with an update after it ships. What's the big difference when you're looking at a paper thin BX series versus a paper thin CX series versus the gallery, which is the G X series and of course the WX series or the wallpaper series that's the that's the incredibly expensive top of the line model but what's the difference between paper thin and gallery that's a good question <laughs> well when you look at the like the wallpaper design their sure. WX series or their previous W models the wallpaper design that literally takes all the electronics out of the panel itself reducing it just to the OLED panel in a semi-flexible state that can literally be stuck mm -hmm. to a wall with a thin ribbon cable coming off of that to something that looks like a sound bar. Right. And that also provides your inputs. It's like, yeah, that's the WX, but what they call the paper thin on the BX and CX lines is like the bottom third, bottom half of the television houses all of the electronics. And then there's this incredibly skinny. The panel itself, totally. The panel is paper thin. It's just two inches off the wall because of the big box full of electronics on the lower third of the television. And if you're using <laughs> traditional wall mount hardware, right. you can't screw into a, a two millimeter thick panel. <laughs> So right. you need something there to kind of hold everything up. Yeah. And 
if you're looking for that flat against the wall design where you have no desire to ever have that screen angle or extend or articulate in any way, right. that gallery series is what you're looking for. But okay. if you're in a more traditional shopping mode or looking for simply the best values out there, you'll be focusing more on the CX panels right now and the BX coming up uh, later right. in May. One of the main changes will be some, effectively everything I know about the 10 series is that it's all internal. Everything that's changed from the okay. 9 to the 10. There should be some differences, hopefully, in mm -hmm. color performance and light output. Uh, but I think it will be single digit percentages in terms of that difference. Otherwise, the problem with the 2019 series is you could do an automated calibration using built-in test patterns, but you weren't mm -hmm. able to verify it using those built-in test patterns. They were in the wrong place within the video pipeline in order to be used after the fact. They made a small change with the 10 series to basically flip that. So those patterns are now in the pipeline from the very beginning. So you can now use those for verification as well. One of the things people like to do when they calibrate a TV is to show you the before and after and to be sure. able to show that on a pretty graph. And with, I did something. Yeah, <laughs> this made a difference. And this will be one way to make that a little bit easier. And using tools that are well under $300, you can literally do some pretty good calibration work on your own with LG TVs and devices that are available right on the internet. Or, you know, pay someone to do it for you. I'm looking forward to that. Uh, as far as ATSC 3, the next-gen tuner standard, none of the most affordable sure. TVs LG's offering in their OLED lineup this year will incorporate those tuners. They are reserving that specifically for the gallery, the wallpaper, and I believe one other series too. So if that is critical to you in your decision-making for buying a new OLED for the 2019 versus the 2020, just keep that in mind too. We'll all likely need separate external tuners to take advantage of the next-gen tuner standard when it finally starts deploying this year. Normally, we do our, our viewer questions, ask at avxl.com at the end of the show, but uh, we had one from our patron, Andrew, and Andrew and everyone who subscribes at uh, patreon.com slash avxl. You're the people who make the show possible. Thank you so much, and we don't charge you unless we do four episodes a month, so just keep that in mind. Andrew emailed, Robert and Patrick, do you think it's worth the extra money to get the LG OLED 77 GX PUA over the OLED 77 CX PUA, since the GX will have an ATSC 3.0 tuner? I would like that, but again, those are the G versus the C series, those are two completely different use cases in terms of how you want that TV to look in a room. If it is truly a, to be mounted flat against right. the wall and you have no intention of, you know, wanting to articulate that panel in any other direction, let alone angle it down slightly to keep the dust off the face of it, then you are not looking at the GX series, even though it may have that ATSC 3 tuner. Um, you're looking at something a little more traditional, like the CX or the BX coming up. Beyond that, yeah, though... I wouldn't, uh, that's the main choice of looking at those two. I, I wouldn't sure. I wouldn't be shopping for an ATSC 3 enabled TV right now as the, the make or break for whether or not to buy it. Mm -hmm. There are very few public broadcasts right now of that standard. Most of the TV shipping this year won't feature that tuner built in. So we're going right. to be dealing with external boxes anyway. That's where I'm more excited is, is to see like, oh, give me an affordable dual tuner ATSC 3 box that I can connect that lets me attach, say, portable storage or something like that to create my own little sure. DVR. Those products will be coming out later this year. So if the TV lacks <laughs> ATSC3, it's not it's not make or break for me. And in that particular right. case, between the GX and the CX, it's more the overall design of the panel than it is specifically if ATSC3 is built in or not. 
that $1,000 price difference is all about the construction of the television. Yeah, you also get an ATS-C 3.0 tuner uh, and some better speakers. But if you're spending five or six grand on a television, please, 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 you know, spend some decent money for a surround sound system. <laughs> exactly. And all looking right. at that wallpaper series, the WX, currently it's only listed as a 65-inch design, although I believe they will be offering larger panels. No, currently only listed as 65 inches. The thing about it, though, when it comes to gaming support, what I'm not seeing listed for specifically the wallpaper series TV in that 65-inch size is G-Sync and FreeSync, as well as the variable refresh rate technology. They do have mm-hmm. the new updated firmware for it that adds HGIG, that dynamic tone mapping that seems to be a distinct improvement over what they were doing prior to that, especially with yeah. certain games it's also, that support it properly. It, I mean, HGIG is also an industry group. It's a work with, in process. They've just done the 1.1 draft, what they're working on. So, you know, just like HDR itself in gaming, it's something that's going to keep evolving whether you like it or not. Uh, totally. It smells that way. If I were a critical console gamer and or even a PC gamer using an OLED display, I would sure. probably steer clear of the wallpaper model just just to have the best experience possible. There you have it. From the WTF desk here at AVXL, here's what I wrote down. WTF Disney Plus, Naked Hulk ass is okay for Marvel's most excellent Thor Ragnarok. Really, one of my favorite movies in a long time. And I'm pretty sure there's some naked Wolverine butts somewhere in the Fox catalog, but 1984 Splash gets digital hair to protect viewers and apparently Tom Hanks from Daryl Hannell's Tookus. A 36-year-old PG-rated Ron Howard movie gets sanitized by the mouse from Disney Plus. Unbelievable. Um, this, <laughs> this kind of editing for content I'm paying for that I did not ask for, it does not encourage me to spend money on this service. I'm telling you. However, right. it, it, funny, though, it does seem like a perfect home, though, for Mr. Lucas and some of his post-edited projects. <laughs> well, this is... Let's let's give a shout-out to Allison Pregler. Uh, yeah. She's the host of Online Film Forum. In her tweet, which kind of raised the, the Internet's ire on this one, Disney Plus didn't want butts on their platform, so they edited Splash with digital fur technology. And it's, it's a pretty... Uh, it's a pretty mediocre piece of cg it's funny because I, I went and watched the scene and i'm laughing because the way the hairline is set up in the original movie by ron howard is her hair kind of falls in the natural place where a bikini would you know 25 years ago much less today um and then there's this giant collection of hysterical uh comments on the twitter thread my personal favorite being at sewage 666 quote I remember seeing that movie as a kid in the theater with my family. I turned into a junkie and burglar and murderer after seeing that butt. Good on them to protect America's children with an... Well, I won't say that word. Well, I will say that word. Anal Merkin. Um, <laughs> this is this is, this is is weird, right? Because, you know... The edit stands this out. This is not up it there with Greedo odd. shooting first. Yeah, it looks weird, right? And you're probably not even going to notice it. This is not up there with Greedo shooting first and, and all of Lucas's changes, but it is irritating. To me, uh-huh. I think it creates a weird change to that scene and Tom Hanks's response because my eye suddenly focuses on the fake fur and it, it, it <laughs> takes me out of that scene and then it changes what I'm thinking the Tom Hanks character is thinking from more of a... <laughs> Hey, that's, that, that's awesome to, whoa, what the hell am I looking at? <laughs> what was Does she that? she have a bleached badger on a fanny oh, pack? I mean. It's not even done well. You know, 
I want to find the website that will detail all of the movies that Disney is doing this sort of thing to. I'm sure they have a message before the movie starts playing that it has been edited. So, well, the Verge, the Verge did a big article on this, and, okay. and they say, "quote Disney has also instituted pre-roll messages that play before certain movies to inform viewers that scenes have been edited for specific reasons." The company removed the word "fuck" from movies like *Adventures in Babysitting* and *Free Solo*, took out racial slurs that appeared in older titles like *The Adventures of Bullwhip Griffin*, and edited other materials in movies like *Empire of Dreams* that Disney no longer found suitable. Thanks, Grandpa. Yeah, I mean, this is this is. This is classic Disney. You can argue for director's cuts, but this isn't that. What's kind of so odd about the the splash is none of what they've pulled violates a PG-13 rating. Adventures in Babysitting and the Curse does not violate a PG-13 rating, which is the cap for Disney+. And, and it's 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 funny because somebody pointed out to me like, oh, remember the version of Caddyshack that used to be on the Family Channel? And it was like, I guess... The Family Channel got this movie really cheap, and they needed filler. And they used to play it all the time. And I used to watch it because it was hysterical to see some of the things they substituted or cut out. I feel like they cut out a third of the movie. It couldn't have been that much. (laughs) Probably. But, like, you know, at the very end, there's this apocryphal scene with Rodney Dangerfield where he's like, hey, everybody, we're all going to get laid. And it's hysterical and completely appropriate for the character. But it became, hey, everybody, we're all going to. And then it cut to a completely from a yelling voice to a talking voice going, we're going to have a party. It's a rude movie. It's an obnoxious 70s comedy. And they kept substituting words in there. It became this game for me to see, like, how many cuts I could identify or how many, like, you know, language substitutions. But that wasn't the only version of Caddyshack that was available. And it's really weird. Like, you know, props for Disney. They they released Frozen 2 early. They're releasing other films early, you know, like the Trolls World Tour and all that stuff. And I, and I think there's a lot of thankful parents on that, unless they had to watch the Trolls movie with their kids. But uh, it's, it's uh, sorry, not my favorite series. It's frustrating to see them taking liberties with the movies. You liberties? Could, you, know, you could argue... They're editing. Okay. They're editing content. Clearly, if you want to buy into this weirdly, strangely edited content, I did watch The Mandalorian. Some pretty good epic violence in that. No problem, you know? That's also one of the running jokes about PG-13. It's like, because, whose mindset is this that we're all being... Well, that you're going to have to pay for in order to watch this specific content on Disney. Well, it's, it's, it's just, there's Disney, a creepy Disney's, level to it to have content that is out Disney's, there and edited. And then here's the Disney filter. Disney's trying to avoid controversy. I remember it was years ago now, but at the beginning of Revision 3, like the first episode of Techzilla, I cursed. Because like when I was told they wanted, you know, they, they wanted to free us up to be able to talk like we we maybe normally talk, <laughs> certainly in my own case, less so now that I have children. It was hysterical because I had to explain to like the entire management team what PG-13 and what PG actually meant. And you can kill 96,000 people and you can curse a couple of times, not the ones that reference body parts, but you can have other non-curses. It's a really bizarre collection of things. And when you look at movie ratings, it basically says as a nation, anything that is sexual, we have to protect the children from. And Epic violence is not as worrisome to the to the movie rating system. It's a really bizarre system. This does um, not encourage me to spend any more money with Disney. I mean, I, honestly, I don't. This service came with my TV, and when it expires, <laughs> it will go with that. <laughs> and I'll go back oh. to places that give me the content I want unedited and where I don't even have to think about it. 
Well, we own a lot of stuff like the Phineas and Ferb series and stuff like that. So, but I can I can also see for a lot of parents, you know, that it's reassuring mostly that they can pay a very small fee and get a metric ton of of stuff that their kids love. Um, That's probably what I'm missing, and I I'm yeah. not seeing it like that as a parent. I'm just looking at it from a, a consumer, straight consumer. I also enjoy who lives the in a free country a where I I really don't appreciate other people making decisions about what's quote unquote appropriate or not. <laughs> when they they don't bother to explain themselves with these decisions or what their thinking is, because if they had to, it's for the children, Robert. Yeah, yeah. Let's dig into that a little bit. <laughs> Bambi's mom's gonna die. Oh, that's a spoiler. Sorry, everybody. Um, (laughs) But you can't see Daryl Hannah's butt. Whatever. Oh, my goodness. Shifting gears. Uh, You've been playing around with Google Stadia. Is it worth keeping? Did they give you more free time? What's going on with that? I had it, played it like twice. I picked up, what was it? The the Founders Edition, where it came with the cool controller (laughs) and uh, like uh, two or three months free service. I found nothing really worth playing on it for free they have one racing game called grid that's probably the very best of all the freebies they have and that seems pretty fun about two weeks ago they announced that they were extending till i believe june free service for everyone who already had jumped in and they opened up a brand new free tier adding more hardware that's compatible with streaming their service more mobile devices more third-party controllers you're able now to get in there and at least try it Uh i did pick up uh, red dead redemption 2 for my roommate who doesn't really play on a PC, uh, gave them something besides the few freebies that are there to check out. So far, the service is great. I haven't had any like access problems or control problems or service problems per mm-hmm. se. It does suck down bandwidth though. Even it, I, I believe everything's currently limited to 1080p 60. That will easily suck down. 31, 32 megabit. Ooh. And not everyone is going to be able to take advantage of that. So there's there's yeah. the one, probably the biggest difference between a console versus these online dedicated services is that you are taking advantage of your internet connection to make that work. But otherwise, uh, I dig it. It's not for me. I'm really a PC gamer at heart. I love my Steam account. Yeah. I love my workstation. I love my mouse and keyboard. Number one, <laughs> I, I am yeah. not the target audience for this, but for someone a little more casual, man, it, it seems perfect. And the fact that it it's literally just the controller with a Chromecast right. plugged into the back of the TV, not a lot of hardware to deal with or eh, very little. It still seems expensive for what you're paying for at this point. Yeah. Paying full price for games on that platform is, you know, it depends. If that's your platform, that's your platform. But I have options for me. It's like, well, okay, I have a game console and I have a PC and I have Google Stadia. For the time being, at least through June, we can all try the pro version and level of their service for free. And you can take a look at their website, stadia.google.com, and see what controllers and hardware is currently compatible. They also, of course, would love to sell you their own controller and their own special Chromecast adapter to get you rolling on that too. Cool. But it's out there, and if you had it like me and kind of just ended up throwing it in the corner and never touching it again, there are a couple more free months for you. Get out there and take a look at it. Go forth and play. Yeah. And that grid game actually does look pretty as a racing game. (laughs) Pretty games are nice. Yeah. Especially if you have a 4K TV. 
something I didn't expect to hear, Apple is working on a high-end set of headphones with interchangeable parts. And it's interesting, uh, Bloomberg broke this story. Over your headphones, parts can be swapped out. They are trying to do something that makes things sound better than their AirPods, which I, for one... I'm delighted to hear about that. This will apparently compete with the Beats, but the earpads, the headband padding are going to be magnetically attached so they can be replaced, which I think may be a more of a functioning, like they expect you to use these for a long time because earpads wear out over time. I've, I've worn out the earpads on, on several different headphones that I've used for an extended period of times. It's also interesting because the writers that worked in this, uh, Mark Gurman and Debbie Wu, I don't think spend a lot of time talking about headphones, so things that aren't particularly notable they are a little more excited about than I would expect to be. But you can expect these to be in that $300, $350, $400 price range. They've apparently been in development for since 2018. And at this point, we don't know much else other than it's an additional revenue stream. The early signs are that they're going to be creating headphones that don't sound bad. Cool. So... Yeah. I don't know if they even want to open it up to third-party manufacturers for parts, too, but having right. the magnets at least in the headphone itself and then being able to just to use a small piece of metal then in all of the parts that actually will connect to that. That way you wouldn't right. have to then add magnets to everything you're going to be <laughs> connecting or, or swapping out on your headphones. So I'll be curious to see. I know I so mean, many people with the wireless earbuds from Apple, the latest version, sure. who love them. I mean, they just absolutely love them. Maybe they're not, you know, the most discerning of listeners, but I think as some of the wireless headphones out there, I'm kind of jealous that I don't have a pair of like Pixel Bud 2s yet. The AirPod Pro is a pretty healthy step up from the AirPods, so I, I will give Apple credit Pro, for that. Pro, not 2. And yeah, yeah for $250, they freaking should be. Yes. Um, <laughs> you know, this is not an inexpensive One more laughs at you. <laughs> One more and many other companies. Yeah, that's uh, very true. I will also say, having heard probably <sighs> somewhere in the neighborhood of a hundred different headphones, and probably probably at least a hundred different models of earbuds at this point, most cheap earbuds sound awful. I Somewhere hear. around a hundred dollars, you start getting you know stuff that sounds decent. But there are a lot of bad earbuds out there. Period. <laughs> Much as it's, uh, I'm still rocking I, my Sony MDR 7506s. I love those things. That's a really good set of headphones. I, I absolutely um, love them. There's a lot of crappy headphones out there too, but that's that's a conversation for another day. Indeed. I was actually uh, delighted for the crew over at Expona. That's the Audio Expo North America. They're a high-end audio show. I've never actually been to this one, but I know a lot of vendors who go to this one. Uh, normally, it takes place in Schromberg, Illinois. I was supposed to. Uh, take place in April. They've since moved it out to August, like so many other conventions we've seen. But what's interesting, they're actually doing a live stream uh, starting today, April 17th, when we're recording the podcast. And I've got like 25 of their vendors that are actually um, showing off or talking about what they would have been debuting at the show. That's and, cool. Uh, yeah, it actually is really cool. Um, Emotiva, one of our favorite brands. The you know the crew over at AudioQuest that make the uh, Dragonflies we love so much. Kobuz, who does uh, streaming that's really, really good. I've actually been spending a lot of time on Kobuz, playing around with their streaming audio platform. Pangea Audio, which is a subset of a... Of a uh, well, you know, just go check it out. Uh, Axpona.com, it'll give you a link to go over to the Facebook page where they're hosting everything if you want to uh, hear what some of the vendors have to say about their products. May those vendors be using lapel mics or uh, labs yeah. or their audio folks. 
sound better than half the people I see trying to stream stuff from home right now, even under professional yeah. quote unquote circumstances. I'm surprised well, at how bad some home audio is recording. <laughs> audio is harder. Recording audio is harder than people realize. I say actually, that, and then I'm thinking back like two episodes where my mic just sounded like utter crap. So <laughs> it's like, you know, I'm trying. You know, tell us if we need to get better, and we'll do our best to get better. Um, Sonos S2 software is coming, coming, coming. It's been officially announced. Um, not it's going to be as bad as we thought as far as, like, redlining old hardware. Uh, Zone Player, CR200, Bridge, uh, Connect, the Gen 1, the Connect Amp, the first gen, the Play 5, the first gen, which I own one of those. Won't get the new firmware. We'll get more into this after we actually get our hands on it. Or I will get more into it if uh, when it ships if I am in a house at that point because it's not like I'm going to be sending up nine Sonos devices uh, in the RV. Just a heads up on that one. Coming in June. Coming in June, which is so close. It's an interesting evolution for them. High bitrate audio or high resolution yes. audio and Dolby eh. Atmos support. Ooh. You know, yeah. Uh, we'll see. We'll see. I, w- I will be very curious to see what their implementation of Dolby Atmos sounds like. You know, I love that they're actually going to integrate Cobas and Tidal, although I don't know how long Tidal is going to stay with us. Uh, and I've been saying that for about a year. Tidal was like, I started using Tidal because it was like must have for testing a lot of you know, audiophile audio products because it was everyone uses title because you're streaming lossless, which I loved. I will also say that if you upgrade your Spotify, it's technically not lossless, but it sounds pretty good. Oh, heck so, yeah. I think for any of yeah. the services, if you're still trying to get by on a free account and you haven't actually mm-hmm. tried the higher resolution version of it, just give it a taste. You might find that it is worth your money <laughs> to have that extra bit of quality, especially if you have any kind of decent, even reasonable well, think, speakers think- or headphones. Yeah. Spotify premium is absolutely worth 15 bucks a month as far as I'm concerned. Cool. It's a huge upgrade in audio quality over the over the free version. You were thinking it's more about 4K60 and uh, what exactly that means when you buy a 4K60 or stream a 4K60 movie. The last episode you mentioned that 4K, especially uh, movies that are older that have been brought up to 4K, either through upconversion or they went and found the original film and rescanned it or the negatives, however... One of the things that is good to keep in mind, many of the special effects, especially from a few years ago on back, were limited to about 2K. Even if everything else was shot in 4K, all the live action sequences, everything was edited, they were dealing with special effects that were 2K and being upscaled as such. So that might also go right into being able to pick out some of the things that don't look quite right or as seamless as it may have when you looked at it in 1080p or in regular Blu-ray. As we go forward and as these editing programs and everything seems to be shifting to 4K and, and above, I think it'll be hopefully more likely to have start to finish the entire production for, say, something like a science fiction movie with lots of CGI effects and pretty much every movie nowadays. But anyway, being able to totally recreate that at the same resolution that the presentation is going to be eventually presented in, be it a 4K presentation or, or above. That, I think, is just going to be terrific. One of the websites you can look at, uh, 4kmedia.org, has a real or 4K list that they update. That's one to check out. And it's it's a little frustrating because uh, what they call, in their terms, fake 4K, 
is either mastered in 2K or 1080p and then upscaled. There are a lot of 4K movies where they use like a median render because essentially because it saves them a lot of time in production. And so that's my understanding. When you look at the amount of time to render everything or the special effects, the CGI in 2K takes less time than 4K is less you know demanding. So they do that in 2K and upscale it. But if you want to you know if you want to look through a long list, 4kmedia.org/real-or-fake-4k slash and as you know just looking at the first four or five entries 10 cloverfield lane fake 4k hdr dolby vision 13 hours the secret soldiers of benghazi fake 4k hdr 1776 real 4k 1917 real 4k hdr Ooh. 2001 a space odyssey real 4k hdr 22 jump street fake 4k hdr 310 to yuma fake 4k hdr uh, and then there's a long list of uh, real and fake 4K. There's a strong correlation between movies that are considered cinema or classics uh, being rendered in real 4K versus uh, fake 4K. There's a lot of stuff in what they, you know, what they call fake 4K. Uh, uh, not, however, altered carbon. That is in real 4K. Thank goodness. Just so you know. <laughs> Good looking video there. But that's yeah. a good point. Props to Thomas, who emailed us that question last week to ask at AV Excel. Uh, his concern was primarily 4K24. Uh, one of the things we talked about was how awkward some stuff looks when it's upscaled to 4K. Go back and listen to episode 107. Oh, it's a good one. Do. Oh, I also had one other follow-up real quick, too. For We talked about where Samsung announced they are likely exiting LCD production. The liquid crystal display that they made their name with, effectively, is coming to an end at the end of 2020. What I forgot to mention was what Samsung's doing different with this new quantum dot OLED technology. Uh, clearly, as the name suggests, uh, one part of it is that addition of a quantum dot material. What that also will do is eliminate the need for a color filter that every current display we look at utilizes. Literally all of the TVs we look at nowadays and for many years now, they have a resin window in front of the backlight system with little red, blue, green windows. And the light literally is being converted, like putting it through a plastic filter. What Samsung will be able to do with the QD OLED technology is taking a blue backlight material, a uniform color, and then by having just conversion spots on the subpixels for red and green and a clear window for blue, you really don't need a color filter beyond that. You'll have direct color conversion with the efficient quantum dot material, which is far better than any plastic filter you can possibly deal with, or a resin filter for that matter. If you've ever used a, a high-end projector, that features a built-in color filter for going into a wide color palette, you'll notice the light reduction. Uh, filters by nature are usually notch filters where it's like, okay, we're just gonna block everything, but that one little tiny thing you want, you're gonna get 90% light reduction doing that. This at least will enable a bright OLED display without that color filter on the front. In the case of LG, they effectively use one with a clear window and then a red, a blue, and a green resin subpixel window. And mm -hmm. there are losses associated with that. And every LCD you've ever looked at incorporates something very similar. Being able to eliminate that with what I'm assuming Samsung's going to do with the QD OLED that they will hopefully show off early next year is just that double whammy of, hey, we're going to have the quantum dot efficiencies for doing the red and the green light color conversions. And we get rid of one of the, one of the slices of a display that has been in place for forever that in terms of getting rid of huh. a color filter and hopefully not necessarily making it a 
cheaper device, but if you can eliminate a process or a step or a part, it will, at least on their back end, make it a more affordable product to get out the door. Good. I had to add this in here uh, uh, just because it fascinated me. We've been talking a lot about streaming content. Everybody's locked inside. A lot of people are sheltering in place. Not everybody. Uh, And if you're out working, if you're an essential worker, A, thank you, and B, Uh, We hope you stay healthy and safe. If you are running out of things to watch on Netflix, in May you have something to look forward to. The Supreme Court of the United States, a.k.a. SCOTUS. There's never been uh, camera coverage or live audio in the Supreme Court. But for 10 sets of cases in May, they will be allowing a live audio stream. They have never done that. They've never allowed live audio. Cool. Uh, New York Times article that I, I found out about this on says, quote, On 27 occasions over the last two decades, it has released same-day audio, but its usual practice is to release transcripts within hours, but audio only at the end of the week. So SCOTUS uh, is getting their COVID-19 safety on. All the justices, all the lawyers or counsel will all be remote and uh, but they will be releasing live audio to news media, which I believe will then immediately become available uh, to the public. I'll be so. curious to see if the justices are influenced at all then by the in- the increased what I assume will be increased news coverage of these events. And I, I kind of doubt not. it. Yeah, you think they're <laughs> like like the fish in the bowl effectively, and it's just the cameras watching yeah. them and how they work. I assume they've got some pretty good practices in place to keep things. These are pretty the way they should. (laughs) These are pretty opinionated people. I I don't think they're going to be worried about how the the newspapers are reacting. Suddenly goes into this crazy reality TV show based (laughs) format. I don't know. (laughs) I'm envisioning the Twitter hashtags in real time as people start reacting, Uh, especially, you know. Especially on some of the subjects that are coming up are going to be fairly dense. I'm assuming they'll keep it pretty sane. I would imagine. <laughs> oh, my goodness. This is AVXL. You can find the website at avxl.com if you're looking for information on the feeds and how to subscribe. If you enjoy the podcast, you want to contribute something. And, hey, we understand uh, 22 million people are freshly out of work uh, in the past few weeks, which is painful. And if you're one of them, uh, our sympathies are with you, and we hope you find more work in the near, if not immediate future. But if you can help to support us, we would appreciate that. Patreon.com slash AVXL is the easiest way to do it. And uh, thank each and every one of you for listening. We appreciate it. Don't forget to email us your questions at askatavxl.com. If you're locked at home, staring at a cable, or looking at uh, Amazon and thinking, well, it may be delayed, but I need I need to do something. We, uh, we're cheerful and happy and delighted to help you out with that. Uh, askatavxl.com. With that, ladies and gentlemen, I'm Patrick Norton. Hey, I am Robert Heron. We'll catch you next week on AVXL. Nice.